You know, there's times in ministry and in being with God's people and being around others that you just get a sense that God's up to something great. I just want you guys to know that over the last last night and this morning, I, I just get this feeling that God's up to something great. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of overwhelmed and at the same time kind of, uh, I don't think apprehensive is the right word because I want it, but at the same time, I, I'm, I'm just humbled, I guess. That uh, why would you save it for us? And it's just a resounding back to me because I love you. And I don't know, we, we've been talking about the strong tower all week and and last night we talked about the only way to get to the strong tower is through Jesus Christ and our, our great need for Christ and um, how he even himself, Jesus, needed the strong tower and his father. And we talked about this morning changing our mindset, but the overall anthem of everything is, is, is God's love for you. And it's God's love for us. And, and I, I want to share tonight with you... Um, I'm going to share with you part of my life story, part of my love song, my love story. And there's part of it, man, that sounds like I broke up with Taylor Swift or something, you know. I pitied a fool who breaks up with Taylor Swift because that Harry dude's about to get a song and made famous. But there's parts to the song that don't sound so great. It There's parts of my life that, that don't paint a good picture. Listen to me. There's parts of what has happened to me that have really put me in a place that I was crippled for a long time. I, I want you guys to know too, whether you're 12 or 18 or 50 over, whatever it is, on every castle, and we saw it tonight, there's a flag at the top of the castle. And that's how you identified which kingdom you were representing. My, my question for us tonight is how do we replace the flag of our of ourself? How do we replace the flag of our fathers with the flag of the Father in our life? How do we take our life story and our life song and our, our, our testimony, if you want to call it that, or what Jesus has done in our life, 6th grader, 7th grader, all the way 12th grader, college student, adult. How do we take those stories and let them be epic? Not so that we can point to ourselves, but so that we can point to the writer. So that we can point to the writer. So buckle up. Okay? Most of you, most of you, your life, hopefully at this point, has gone fairly smooth, all right? You haven't experienced like a great loss of a loved one. Maybe some of you have. Most of you haven't in some way like been beaten or abused or, or hurt really deeply. Most of you probably, um, hopefully, I don't know, this is such not the norm anymore, but your parents are still married. Some of you aren't. Your parents have been divorced for a while. Um, and I'll talk about that in a little while. And some of you are the flip side of the coin. Okay? Your life hasn't been great at all. In fact, it's been awful hard. Especially since your parents got divorced. Or you were abused. Or you were neglected. Or you were beat up. Or people have made fun of you. Or something to that effect. 
You're like, I don't know how God can make this a message. I don't know how God could take this and turn it into something great or even epic for that matter. Okay? So, um, I'm going to show you some of my wounds. Some of them are physical, some of them are emotional, some of them are spiritual, okay? So you're going to have to stay tight and follow me. You're not going to need your phone for a while, even if it's your Bible app, okay? Facebook ain't your Bible, but you're not going to need it for a while, all right? So let me just hog some of your attention for a little bit. Um. If we were to read my biography, it would say Silas Timon Polite, born to Thomas Polite and Carol Polite, February 10th, 1981. Okay, two years later, my little sister Amanda was born, like I think enough time after that, not very much longer. It could have, I don't know, it couldn't have been, it was 11 months later, my little brother was born. Yeah, yeah adults are doing the math, that's fast, Okay. <laughs> And so, um, not long after my brother was born, my parents divorced. I don't know what happened. I don't know what made it happen. I'm three years old. In fact, my biggest concern is, do I get Captain Crunch for breakfast? Okay? I remember the first time I spent the night with a buddy, Blake Calavity, I was like, what up, bro? You know, we're playing, like, I think it was Nintendo 64 at the time. And, um... Like, his dad's hanging out a lot. Like, his dad's there almost all night. And I remember saying to Blake, hey, dude, hey, when's your dad going to his house? He was like, what? I was like, yeah, when's your dad go to his house? Because my dad goes to his house and my mom stays at her house. So when's your dad go to his house? Do you understand? At eight years old, my, my reality was mom and dad, they get along, they like each other, but they don't live together. That wasn't the norm. Blake's dad spent the night. <laughs> His parents were still married. So at three years old, I would have never said that I was scarred, but I was. That was something that I that carried with me for a while. Okay, and that same scar, that same emotional scar became even bigger. When I was 13, we were watching the Super Bowl. My dad, my mom had gone out of town. She went to get her master florist license in Austin, she could do great things with flowers. She could make wreaths that would cost like 400 bucks at Dillard's or something like that. Just amazing. And, and my dad's keeping us. We're watching the Super Bowl, the 49ers against the Chargers. This is you older guys when Steve Young gets the monkey off his back. Do you remember? Junior Seau's first time. Okay. We're watching the game. Uh, I decide that I'm going to go into my mom's room and watch TV. I don't, it was weird. My dad kept us at our mom's house. I, but Whatever. And I remember my dad being like, yeah, let's watch the game. I'm like, no, dad, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to call some girls on the phone and my friends and watch the game in this other room. And so I go in there and I remember all of a sudden my sister starts screaming. My brother's freaking out. I'm like, are they fighting or what? Because, I mean, they're siblings. It was pretty common for them. And it had turned out that my dad had collapsed. And um, 
I ran in. I'm getting dressed. I'm like, what do we do? My mom's gone. My grandma's gone. Like, just not there. So we go get the neighbor. The neighbor comes over. He's like CPR, pumping, trying to get my dad back. I'll never forget the night. Mr. Wojciechowski or something, whatever his name was, the EMT walked out and said, your dad's no longer here. I was like, no, he's in the living room. He's still here. He's just hurt. He said, no, your, your dad's not with us anymore. And at that point, students, I want you to understand that I knew enough about God to know that he ordained life and could also take it when he wanted to. And why in the world would a loving God take my dad? Why would this God who cares so much about me, me, Ma, who you want me to go hear about at Sunday school, why would he take my dad? Because I had plans for me and my dad. My dad was going to be at my games. My dad was going to be there to see me win the big tournament or win the big trophy or win the powerless meet. My dad was going to see me get to college and play football in college and be a success. My dad was going to be a grandfather for his grandkids. So where are you, God? And this scar cut deep. And and, and the thing about this scar is not only was I scarred, but it became infected with hate and bitterness and rage. And I was a 13-year-old boy And I was ready to toss these hands with anybody who got in my way. And it didn't matter if you were my mom or my brother or my sister. If you were on the wrong side of me that day, it wasn't going to play out well for you. So that ended up being okay for a while. I didn't get into too much trouble with it. I didn't try to start any fights. I made it hard to get out of a lot of them. But there, here, here, in all of it, even to the point probably, guys, that I'm just probably four or five years ago really coming to grips with it, there was this little boy crying for his daddy. That pain that I was experiencing, guys, just let me tell you this. Girls, you're not like this for the most part. But guys, a lot of times if you'll rest and understand why am I so angry right now, it's probably not anger as much as it is hurt. It's probably not anger as much as it is pain because for some reason in us, we're wired to think that when we hurt, we are going to hurt someone else and then we get angry. So I have these scars, all right? I'm 15 years old. My friend Philip gets his license for the first time, okay? And we're, I mean, your boy gets your license, his license, that's awesome because you don't have to get your mom to drive you anywhere. You got, your boy got his license, Right? And so I remember his mom, like, yeah, y'all can go out, but be careful. And we went to one of my friend's houses. A group of us had gone out to dinner tonight, that night to celebrate. And I remember her, her mom sitting on the couch and all of us sitting around and her looking at each one of us and saying, you be careful because there's only one of you. We can't replace you. We're like, yeah, you're right, you're right, right. So my friend Philip got this little S10 pickup, a Chevy S10. I don't even think they make those anymore. But it's this little bitty truck. If I get in it, I look like Grape Ape in a go-kart. Okay? And so um, Philip is in the driver's seat. And then his girl that he wanted to date, we didn't talk back in the day. There was no talking. We liked each other. Are y'all following me here? I was like, I like her. She likes, let's call each other. Call her on three-way. Call her on three-way, see if she likes me. I'll be real quiet. 
okay? And so we, we, in this little subdivision they lived in, we went to her house, and he's like, Silas, get in the back. And I'm like, okay, what happened, dude? What happened to bros? Right? Anyway, that's not a good saying. <laughs> I, I remember saying, what happened to, anyway, that's so disrespectful, I'm sorry. But that's what I said. Anyway, I get in the back of the truck, and I was like, man, and it hurt me that Philip picked this girl to ride shotgun over me. Put her in the back. So um, I, I got in the bed of the truck, and I was like, you know what? Okay, he wants me to ride back here. That's fine. I'm going to make an example out of him. So we're driving down the road, and I'm, I'm big enough and tall enough that I can reach around the cab and start slapping him in the face while he's driving, which is genius idea, right? The guy driving the truck starts slapping him in the face. So here I am, I'm slapping him in the face, and he takes a right turn. And now, for those of you who haven't driven before, he takes a right turn, but he's looking back at me. And so most times when you turn one direction, your car begins to correct the opposite direction. So this right turn becomes like a 360 almost. Anyway, he, he looks back after I stop slapping him long enough and sees he's fixing to hit a fence. And we're in the country, right? The road is paved. So he jerks the wheel back. Well, at that time, I'm probably like 250, 255. This truck clips me right on the top of my legs, okay? Can y'all see me here? I'm like right here. It hits me. I'm going over. And I'm thinking, how bad could it hurt? I'm a football player. How bad did this hurt? So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going over. Oh, Crap, I'm going under the truck. I don't think I can win that one. So I'm strong enough to think to myself, I'll push away from it. So I push away and I'm like, golden, awesome. We're going 45 miles an hour. So I hit head first into pavement like asphalt going 45 miles an hour. You know, like those cartoons where they like hit and just dig divots into the ground? I didn't do that. I started bouncing like a pogo stick. Guys, listen. I hit one time, complete revolution. Over, never touched my feet. Hit a second time, same spot. Again, complete revolution. Hit my head again. Finally, I stop. I'm landing on my feet. And from here to that stand right there is a brick mailbox. What about me made me stop? How in the world I stopped? I'm a fat dude at that point. I'm fixing to hit this brick mailbox. And look, I've ran through running backs. I've ran through sleds. I'm stout, right? There's no way I go through that mailbox. The only way I go through that mailbox is in a bag. So my face is jacked up. My head from this point over, I seriously look like Two-Face from Batman. My, my eye had peeled back. I don't tell you this to gross you out. I want you to understand the beauty of it in a little bit. My eye had peeled back. My eyeball, no, it's not how I got a lazy eye. <laughs> but I have road rash, what they call road rash, all over my face. And my mom, oh my God. I remember my mom walking into my friend's house just going, Okay, well, 
and she's trying to keep it cool, and I know something's got to be wrong. I'm in shock, and I'm saying all kinds of bad words. I'm putting bad words together that don't even make sense. <laughs> you mothers know what I'm talking about. And she's like, okay, well, come on. Let's just go to the emergency room. I don't need an emergency room. Me football. Me, me tough. Let's band-aid. No, there's no band-aid. No, I, I, I got rocks in my face. So they're like, okay. I'm like, okay, let's go. And I remember driving down Indiana in Lubbock. Lubbockites? Indiana. Being like, hey, everybody, look at my face. It's all messed up. I'm not saying messed up, but I'm using some expletives. I'm like, it's all great. Look, guys. Good. We get to the hospital. I walk in the ER, and they're like, oh, head trauma. Here, have this. And it's like a collar. Like one of those harness that they put your head in. And I'm like, what's up with that? And they're like, it's just protocol, sir. I'm like, okay, fine. So, I mean, I look like when you open the can of biscuits, you know, and it's like, that's what my look like in that little head thing, okay? And so, I'm I'm in it, and they're like, okay, sir, lay down on this bed, and I get in quick, and I'm like, man, that's record time. You know, sometimes at the ER, it can take a while, but I'm in it. Uh, They go, and they do x-rays, and they wheel me back, and everybody like, come, and I can hear the doctor. I can't see them, because I'm like, (laughs) anyway, I can't see them. I hear them look at my chart like, oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, let's go do another picture. I'm like, okay. What, are you going to magazine it or what? So we go take another x-ray. Next thing they decide to do is go take a CAT scan. Uh, this got real, real quick. And I remember after the CAT scan, I'm at this point, I'm a little bit terrified, a little bit scared, a little bit like puffed up on myself. I'm like, can I take this neck brace off? I don't even need it. And the doctor says, you can take that neck brace off. Sure. One of two things will happen. You'll either... Turn your head wrong and be paralyzed from the neck down or you'll die. I guess I'll keep it on then. And I want you to know that that was the longest, one of the longest nights, started the longest nights of not just my life, but the life for my mom. I mean, at this point, my biggest concern was the doctor going, well, it doesn't look like you're playing football next week. I'm like, I love the football. I got to play football. It's my first varsity game. I got to play football. To going, I'm never going to walk again. I'm never going to pick my arms up. I'm never going to know what it's like to hug my mom. I'm never going to know what it feels like to stump my toe and be like, where'd that table come from? I'm never going to know what it feels like to do anything from the neck down again. And so my mom's like, no, let's just pray. I'll call me ma. That's my grandma, my me ma. My mom's mom. Let's call me ma. She'll come. And I remember, man, that night my me ma and my mom praying. And I know they prayed for me before they had to because I got out of some sticky situations. I remember them praying. And what's going to happen is they've decided the best thing to do is to drill holes in my head and put me in a halo. It's old school. It'll sit on my shoulders. I won't be able to turn my neck for like six months in, in hopes that my C6 vertebrae, which was, had been broken at that point, would fuse back together by itself. Not only will I never play football that year, I'm never playing again. Tough, okay? That night, praying, praying. That morning, we go into the get my own room. They're prepping me for surgery. We go back. They're like, let's do one more CAT scan. They do the CAT scan. They do the x-rays. They take me back to my room instead of taking me to pre-op. And I'm like, 
this is weird. Maybe they can't fix it now. Oh, gee. Oh, no. Like, I don't want to be a guy, like, driving a chair with my mouth. I, I don't think I can do that. I mean, it sounds funny, but it's scary as all get out. And the doctor walks in. He's like, well, um, let's see here. Mr. Polite? It's Polite, dude. I've been here all night. He's like, well, Mr. Polite, um, let's see here. I'm not real sure how to say this, but well, let me just show you. And put some pictures up on the wall, this little light screen. He's like, you'll see here, Mr. Polite, that we were concerned about your C6 vertebrae. Circles it with this cool pen he has. He's like, we were concerned about that, and we were going to do this and this, and we're going to make you better. But it turns out this morning, Mr. Polite, if you look at the same spot, there's nothing wrong. Hold on. Homeboy wants to take credit. He's like, it was probably just a shadow on our x-ray machine. I took my neck brace off and threw it at him and thought to myself, bro, you don't tell me I'm never walking again or playing the football because of a, a shadow. At this point, I have no clue what really took place. And I really can tell you today, not only did I play football again, I just missed one game because of the swelling in my face. I got eight stitches. Carter? Carson? Same thing. <laughs> Don't worry, my, my robotics teacher calls me the same Okay, Carson, Aaron, Butch, look right here. You can tell everybody. It's hard to see, but you can see these scars right here. If you feel right here, Car there's a dog bone in my jaw right here. Just touch. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's not really a dog bone. But uh, I've got these scars on my head, okay? I see them when I look in the mirror, even today. Most people would never notice them. I see them every day. Those are my physical scars, but also have spiritual and emotional implications with them. I tell you these stories about losing my father, and um, there's so many more I could tell you. And I tell you those stories because of students. I want you to understand tonight that the wounds that you have in your life don't have to be reminders of what happened as much as they can be reminders of what God did. I, I want you to know, students and adults, whatever you've been through and however wounded you've been, whether it's been a bruise or a cut or an emotional scar or an emotional cut of some sort or a spiritual cut, because see what happened really when I lost my father, not only did I get an emotional scar, but I got a spiritual one because my connection to my Heavenly Father was off for a long time. Even when I got saved, I was like, okay, I love Jesus, but I don't know the father part of God. He loves me. He wants to be my dad. He wants to be a father to the fatherless. Well, that's me. I'm fatherless. Where are you at, daddy? Where are, where are you? And, and then I start learning. Jesus called him Abba, and I get to call him Abba, and that's an affectionate term. I get to call him my dad who loves me. I, I got to tell you this. When I started to acknowledge my daddy, when I started to acknowledge the father, that wound began to heal. Not just the emotional wound, but also the spiritual wound 
began to heal. But for it to heal, God had to completely rip it open so it could heal again. You think about scars in the Bible, okay? And Jesus had scars when he rose from the grave, right? You know this because there were some of the disciples who were like, well, I'm not going to believe it's him unless I see the scars in his hands. So he's like, look, take a look right there. See the holes? See the scars? Peter tells us, we have that one, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. It says, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to the sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. I don't know if that resonates with you, but I want you to understand that every wound Jesus took physically, physically, the 39 lashes that he took, one less of probably killing him, right, completely beaten to the point where his mother didn't recognize him, those wounds that he took were made so that every wound you have will be healed. Not just the physical, don't lose sight of this, students, middle school, high school adults, don't lose sight of the fact that there was not one physical star, scar Jesus took, bottle them all up together, compass them all together. None of those physical scars came close to the spiritual scar that he took when our sin was poured out on him. You know what? He took it. He took it and he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And students, I don't know how many nights I slept in my bed and I cried out to God. I said, why are you punishing me? Why are you doing this to me? What did I do wrong? And as God began to heal scars in my life, he began to say, so I said, no, you haven't done anything wrong. You haven't, you haven't done anything wrong. That was my, it's my plan for your life. And I want you to understand that my plan for your life is for good. And I, I was like, right now, it doesn't feel good. I don't feel good right now. I didn't feel good a month later. I didn't feel good a year later. Students, I didn't feel good probably 15 years later. Because it hurt. And it could never be the same again. And it hasn't been the same. But it's been a new kind of different. I, I began to understand the Father's heart for me more than I ever would probably with my father here. I've been able to be a father to my boys probably better than I ever would have been able to with my father here. I've been able to minister to adults and people alike because I know how it feels and I know what the pain feels like and I know what the hurt feels like. Here, here's the deal for us students is that a lot of us have these scars, physical scars, emotional scars, spiritual scars that maybe, if we're being honest, nobody knows about but you and Jesus. Maybe you've got these wounds and they've never, ever ever been healed. Do you know what happens to open wounds over a period of time, boys and girls? They get infected. They get infected, and not just the wound becomes infected, but the entire body becomes infected. And when that happens, a couple of things can take place. Your body will shut down, 
your organs will begin to not function. Function. Your um, brain will begin to start telling your body other things to compensate for the infection. Spiritually speaking, what happens? You begin to rebel against God. You begin to think, look, I know enough about you to know that you are not for me, but you're against me. You begin to, you're, this infection begins to run its course in your blood and in your heart. And, and, and by the end of it, you're like, look, I'm just so hard right now. I'm so callous. It doesn't matter what I do. God isn't for me. He doesn't care. I'm just going to go and do. I, I, want, I want you guys to hear me and say that I'm a living example of the fact that God works out all things for good to those who know him and are called according to his purpose. And I want you to know that right now I know it doesn't feel good. And right now maybe there's part of you and some of you in here that you hurt so bad on such a level that nobody even knows about because they won't take the time to stop and listen. Well, I want you to know I'm probably going to be here till about 1.30 tomorrow and I'll stop and I'll listen. But I want you to know more than I'm going to listen, God's all ears tuned in. He's listening to your heartbeat. He knows the hurt that it has. He knows the frustration and the bitterness that have begun to take root and begin to sprout heads and begin to grow. He knows those. And you know what he's saying to you tonight, students? Let me cut that away. Let me take that away. Look, this burden that you carry, you were never intended to carry that burden. I took that burden and I labored that burden and I took it to the cross. Paul says in Romans, and look, you could say, well, Paul was an apostle. He had a good life. No, dude was beaten over and over. He couldn't even walk around in his own city anymore without being persecuted or hurt. And he says, we know that God causes everything to work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Students, I want you to know, I don't know what about the scars in your life. I don't know what kind of scars you have. And some of you are like, well, it's not really a scar. It's just a nick. People have died from paper cuts because of the infection. So don't sit there tonight, students, and tell me, I'm not that bad. It's just a little paper cut. I just pricked my finger with the needle. Some of you are like, dude, I got hit by a train. I got hit by a belt. or I got hit by a shoe. I got, I'm hurt. It's exposed. Can we just tonight just try it? Just run into Jesus and say, and heal my heart and make me clean. C come in and whatever's in me, that, that's, this infection, whatever it is, give me a joy that I've never had before. I mean, I can play the Christian game. I can go to church and I can go through the motions. But when I go home at night, inside and who a part of me and who I am, it's hurting Students, I want you, adults, I want you to come to a place where you come before Jesus and go, look, I'm infected with sin, I know that, but I'm also hurt. I, I was hurt at this point in my life. Start beginning to track back, and if you're like, I don't even know, just begin to ask, Lord, what am I not seeing? Because the scary part about bacteria and viruses is you can't see them, right? A cockroach runs in the office or runs into your house, you step on it, it's dead. Virus comes in, you don't know what to do. How'd you get the flu? I don't, I don't know. I didn't drink after anybody. I don't know. I don't know what happened. How'd you get a stomach bug? Did you go to a McDonald's and get a stomach bug? That's food poisoning. It's different. What's going on? 
Here's what I want you guys to understand is you're like, Silas, look, it sounds good and I know you mean well and, and you're on the right track and I'm thankful that you've got it together, but you're a grown A man. You're 31 now. You've been able to overcome these things. Look, I'm 12, I'm 14, I'm 15, 16. My parents aren't Christians. They don't get it and they don't want to get it. And they're just going to keep taking and keep hurting me. Look, I want you to know that God's a protector. And, and he will protect you. He's like, well, he hadn't been doing it. I wish I could tell you I know why, but I don't. But I want you to know that God is able. And God is mighty. We, you sung the song, Mighty to Save. He's mighty to save. He's mighty to heal. He's mighty to overcome. In Christ, you're an overcomer. He's able to come in and completely rearrange things for your good and for his glory. I want you to know that um, we're talking about medieval times. In medieval times, kings would wear a ring, and it was called a signet ring. And they would take wax on their letters and official documents, and they would melt wax, and with that ring, they would stamp that ring, and they would seal it. And every king's seal had a seal, and they would know where it was coming from. And I want you to know, man, if you're a Christian tonight, God, the Father, has taken his mighty right hand with his signet ring, and he has sealed your heart with the power of the Holy Spirit. He's, he sealed your heart, and he stamped it, and it's like, you belong to me. Quit letting these outside influences hurt you. You belong to me. When we look at, at, at David, in Psalm 139, he went back and forth, and he's like, God, I know wherever I go, you're with me. If I go, you precede my steps, and you follow me, you place a hedge of protection around me. It's where we get the verse, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. This my soul knows well. I, 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 just, I just want you, in, in the quietness of right now, just close your eyes, and I want you to say to yourself, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This my soul knows well. And some of you are like, that's so awkward, dude. Come on. Yeah, I know. And the harder it is for you to say it, probably the more you doubt it. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. This my soul knows well. My son Kyle, I love him to death. He gets on my nerves a lot. All right, he's our baby. He knows it. And he has confidence like I wish I could have. I mean, I'm like, well, Kyle, who loves you? He's like, well, Dad, you do, but not more than Jesus or God. You don't love me more than Jesus or God. You can't, Dad. Most dads would be like, whatever. I love you. You're my boy. <laughs> no, Kyle knows because he's confident in the Father's love because he hasn't been tainted by life yet. He knows at five years old that God loves him way more than I ever could. When my mom died, Kyle was devastated. My son Ty, devastated. My son Jacob, devastated. Jacob's reasoning was is that, Dad, she was here and she had cancer. She wasn't going to get better. She was sick. And she's healed now. These are, this is my nine-year-old son ministering truth to my heart. She's, she's healed now and she's in heaven. And we're going to miss her. And my middle son Ty is like, what about Roger? Roger's my stepdad. God put a man in my life to love my mother better than anyone I ever got to see. And so it was a beautiful thing. But Ty, his heart, his emotions were like, what about Roger? How's he going to feel? How's he going to hurt? And we're like, we're going to love him, Ty. He's like, yeah, we have to because Mima loved him so much. And we have to love him too. 
Kyle's like, can I go get a snack? <laughs> I'm like, baby, did you not hear what we just said? He's like, yeah, I miss her. Last night he called me. He's like, Dad, I miss me, Ma, and it's an every night thing. I'm like, baby, I do too. I do too, but you know who she's with? He's like, yeah, she's with God and Jesus, but can we borrow her? I'm like, I wish we could, baby. I wish we could, but you know what? You just tell Jesus and God how your little heart hurts right now, and they're going to make it better. You know why? You know why they're going to make it better? He goes, yes, and there's nothing he can't do. There's nothing he can't do. I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, did I, did I make the right decision, God? Did, is this really what you wanted me to do? Is this what we needed to do? I just don't feel right about it. I, I, I remember just having all these doubts in my head, and I, I'm not saying them out loud because I don't want my wife to start being like, well, if you didn't know, why did we move to Lubbock? <laughs> not that she would do that. But I'm like, well, um, I don't know, I'm just sitting there, and Kyle walks up, and he's like, um, Dad, i got to tell you something. And I'm like, Kyle, I don't know if I have time right now. I'm not in really in a good frame of mind to hear that. He's like, God, Dad, i got to tell you something. It's so good. And I was like, what, Kyle? Is it, do you think we can try it? Yeah, sure. Okay, let's try it. This is what Kyle tells me. That's so big! It's a stretch of And he just goes on about playing and life. And I'm thinking, Kyle, I've heard that song a million times. And it does not end on repeat, peep, 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 <laughs> over and over and over that there's nothing my God cannot do six or seven times. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, why did he say that six or seven times? Probably the same reason that God repeats himself in scripture. Because it's important. And because he wanted me to hear it. This dungeon of despair, this dungeon of hurt, pain, where Christians go. I mean, they're rescued from hell. They're safe, and they feel like they're in a safe place, but really they're locked in this dungeon. Like we just sang earlier, break these chains, break every chain. And they're still chained up because they've never been set free from whatever it is that's binding them. And some of you students are bound by this pain. You're bound by these scars, emotional, physical, spiritual, whatever it might be in you. I want you to know that tonight the healing can begin. I want you to know that in this place, people can come alongside, and I've seen you do it already tonight. People can come alongside you and begin to minister truth to your heart tonight. Not when you get grown up. Not when you get bigger, but tonight. I want you to understand that your wounds tell a story, not about the damage that's been done, but about the greatness of who God is. That even in the midst of all the pain and the sorrow, God is present. Y'all know the story of Joseph, right? Coat of many colors. 
right? Brothers got jealous, sold him into slavery. Joseph begins this roller coaster of ups and downs. He's in the house of the highest um, official in Egypt. The wife takes an eye at him, likes him. She's like, I want him. He's like, no, I can't do that. You belong to my master. Yes, you can. Rips his shirt off, tells everybody he did something to her. Wasn't the truth. He gets thrown in jail, interprets dreams. This is the fast version of like 18 chapters. Fast Goes into prison, interprets these dreams, goes up to Pharaoh, interprets more dreams. Pharaoh's like, well, dude, you'd be in charge of all this stuff that you're talking about. His brothers come back and find him. Anyway, in the course of all this, Joseph's dad dies. Joseph's devastated. He's sad. And his brother's like, oh, my gosh, Joseph's going to kill us now. And he could. He, he was in a position where he could kill, you, kill him. Joseph's brothers come to him. They fall down. They worship him. They begin to cry. And Joseph's like, brothers, look up. See me. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Students, I want you to understand that people probably have done things and they've meant it for evil, but in all of it, God has meant it for good. Past tense, before time began, God meant it for good. And you're like, Silas, if you knew how bad that hurt me, you wouldn't dare tell me God meant it for good. Well, students, I stand before you tonight as somebody who's buried my mother and my father by the age of 31, and I'll tell you tonight, God meant it for good. I'll tell you tonight that I've walked through hell and back through Jesus' strength, and God meant it for good. I don't want one of you to leave here tonight taking any of this baggage with you. Wound care begins tonight. Healing starts now. Healing begins to take place now by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. So the band's going to come back up, and I want us to do something. Maybe you've done this before, something a little bit different. I don't know. But here's what I want to do, okay? If you're a college student, in a second, after I'm done praying, I want you to stand up. I want you to go all over the room. We've got adults here, too. And I want you to understand that whether it's been a prick of a finger, whether it's been a deep emotional scar, whatever it is in you, you just need to say, look, I need healing. I need somebody to pray for me. I need to pray. Look, students, there's no greater prayer than your own, right? There's not some magic words that I can throw in and offer up that God's going to go, I like that way better than what you got, so here you go. God wants to hear your heart. God wants to know where you're at, and he knows. When Jacob was little, he was like two or three, he would be like, Dad, let's play hide and go seek. I was like, okay. Just in the house, though. I ain't about to run outside. He's like, okay, Dad, okay, Dad. He was like, I was like, okay, okay. He goes, you're it, you're it. Okay, Dad, you count to ten. I'm going to go hide in my room under my bed. Okay, ready, go. (laughs) We play hide and go seek all day. That's what we do with God. We're like, okay, Father, okay, I know you can see all things. I know you can be everywhere at the same time. Let's play hide and go seek. I'm going to hide this from you, right? You count to ten like you need to. I'm going to hide this over here. I don't want you to see it. Look, what's happened in secret and what's been done in the light, God knows it all. And he's not standing there going, I can't believe you did that. Or, oh, that's disgusting. Or, I don't think I'm strong enough to overcome that. He's standing there going, look, let me fix that. And you know what? My kids, some of the best medicine they get is their mama's kisses. That hurt, let me kiss it. And maybe like a Band-Aid. Not like full gauze. 
They don't even have a scratch or an ouchie, but they want that Band-Aid where Mama kissed it. Some of you need to come up to God and go, look, I got this ouchie. I know this is so simple. And you're like, dude, we're, we're teenagers. We're almost grown people. There's more parents here, so we got to watch our mouth. Some of you need to go before God and say, look, I got this ouchie. Can you kiss it and make it better? And God's going to go, not only can I kiss it, I'm going to make all things new. Not only can I take that pain away, but I'm in the business of making everything new. And students, you know the verse in 2 Corinthians where it says, um, the old has gone away, behold, all things become new. You're a new creation, the old is dead and buried, and the new has come. Look, I, get, I got a new car one time, but it belonged to somebody else before it was a new car to me. So sometimes I, I associated my new beginning in Christ as that. I thought, well, I'm a new creation, so I'm just like a newer version of the old. No, I'm brand new. The old Silas is dead and buried with Christ. The new one is brand new. And the promise of God is someday I'm going to stand before him and every scar I have is going to be completely gone. Brand new body. Students, I want you to understand that the newness of Christ that dwells in you now can heal everything. I mean, obviously, I've been looking around the room. Some of you are dealing with some intense stuff. Some of you are dealing with some really deep-rooted things, and you don't have to do it alone. You don't have to sit there tonight alone in the corner of a room and just sit there and be like, God, why me? Why are you doing this? What's going on? People can come and they can pray for you, but at some point, you got to be honest with yourself. You have to be true to yourself, and you have to say, this hurts. Not only does it hurt, it hurts bad, and I don't want it anymore. So after I pray, I just want to start a prayer. And after I pray, college students, adults that are here, just fan out around this room. I'm staying right here. And if you want to come talk to me, come with it. I'm not a magic maker, okay? Anybody can do this. I'm going to stand right here because I promise you, and, I, and this will stay true, okay? You don't need to go anywhere tonight, though. We need to do business tonight. I'll be here till 1.30 tomorrow. And I'm, I'm going to listen. Like I told you this morning, I've been through some crazy stuff in life so that God could get the glory. Not so that I could rest in and go, oh, that hurt so bad. I don't want to do that again. I don't want to open that up again. I don't want to talk about my dad dying. I don't want to talk about my mom dying. I don't want to talk about me dying. I don't want to talk about getting made fun of. I don't want to talk about getting hurt over and over by people. I don't want to talk about those things. No, you know what? I want to talk about them because you know what? Not talking about it gives the enemy the glory. But by proclaiming the goodness of who God is and his redemptive story gives him the glory. Your life is a story. It's an epic story, so tell it. Show your scars. Show them healed. Look, it's not an open wound anymore. My face came back together. It's still kind of all jacked up, but it came back together. Okay? When I was 13, I thought it would be cool to ride four-wheelers with my friend, Blake Calavity. So we're riding this four-wheelers. All of a sudden, this cow starts running at us. I'm like, I got a four-wheeler. And so we take off, we slide into this bar ditch though, and it's pretty steep, guys. All of a sudden, I think I'm going to throw Blake off because we're going to slide. This four-wheeler is going to fall on us, and I could probably handle it. He can't handle it. He's like the juggler. Is he still here? Anyway, little. Anyway, my foot, as I'm falling off, slides under the tire, and the wheel ripped off my shoe and ripped off my sock. 
and ripped off my epidermis. Yeah, the top layer of skin. And so I don't want to get in trouble. So I just put my sock back on. I put my shoe on and I go two days without telling my mom. By the third day, I'm like, I can't put weight on it. I can't, it's hurting so bad. And at school, I can't hide it. I've hid it from my mom. She's busy. All right, it's not that she didn't care. She about whooped my rear when she found out. But it wasn't that I wanted to hide. I just didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't want her to hurt. I didn't want to hurt. But I was dying. My foot hurt so bad. The nurse was like, oh, my gosh. She touched it. She's like, wow, it's hot. It was infected. Here's the deal. I go to the doctor. The doctor's like, wow, you have a very, very aggressive staph infection. And if we don't treat this now, we're going to have to cut your foot off. I'm like, cut my foot off? I was like, okay, well, how do we treat it? And he's like, we have to take the scab off. Listen, I want you to hear this. Because that event happened in my life for tonight. We're going to have to take the scab off. And I was like, well, isn't that going to hurt? And he said, yeah, it's going to hurt bad. It's going to hurt bad. We're going to have to have some nurses come in and hold you down. I can't put you to sleep for it. We don't have enough time. It needs to happen now. I was like, okay. And my mom's crying because she knows what it's going to hurt. And so this doctor begins to take his stuff and he begins to take the scab off with gauze pads and iodine. And with every brush of that thing, I feel that scab ripping off and it hurts so bad. But you know what? That scab had to come off for healing to begin. I began to get the right treatment. I began to get antibiotics, ointment to put on it. I've got this real wicked scar now. I tell my boys I got in a fight with an alligator and one. They don't believe me. But students, I want you to know that tonight's the night that God comes into your heart, into those emotional scars, and he rips the scabs off and he begins to heal them. The same God who gave the sight to the blind and made the lame to walk and gave the mute to speak gets to come in and say, well, you're hurt here. Peace be healed. This area of your life you've never let anybody into, peace be still. You don't have to think about this anymore. I took it. I took your scars. By my wounds, you've been made healed. By my wounds, you are healed. So I'm going to pray. When I'm done praying, just in the what's going on, you can come talk to me, college students. Y'all go ahead and start moving while I'm praying, adults. And when we're done, students and adults, look, if you got to talk to somebody, go find somebody. It's not just reserved for these students. But students, you find somebody. And if you need to break up in this room, you do that, okay? Let's pray. But Father, I know you're at work here. And just as we proclaimed as we started tonight, you're up to something big. And I don't know what it is, and I don't know what it looks like right now, but I know that, God, you're in it. You're in it to win it. And that you've won it, and victory belongs to you. And God, I just, we as a group confess that we want to be close to you. We want to be right where you are. And Father, I confess that, that I've had wounds in my life, that I've been cut deep, 
and for so long I hid them from you. I thought I was hiding them from you. I was hiding them from myself. And they became infected. And they began to wreck shop in my soul. And God, then you came and you ripped the scab away and you put new flesh. And you made it new and you've, you healed me. I get to walk in that knowing it every day. And God, I pray for these students. I pray for the girls that are sitting here that have, that have been hurt. I pray, I pray for the ones that have been hurt by the hand of another man and that that's affected their relationship with you. I pray for the students in here that have been hurt by divorce and by their parents separating. They don't know why it happened, but it hurts. I pray for the students in here that have been made fun of, that have been tried to be littled by others. They feel worthless, but God, you've called them worthy. I pray for the students in here that are in such a place that they feel hopeless, that hurting themselves is a better option. That if they're going to be scarred, they might as well create them themselves. And I pray that tonight would be the night that that stops in the name of Jesus. By the redemptive power of your spirit and your healing hand, that it would stop. I pray that in the hearts of the wounded tonight, you would speak the truth that by your wounds, we have been made healed. That by your stripes, we are healed. God, I pray that you would humble us now. Students and adults alike would become falling on their faces. That they would come to a place where they say, I can't do it anymore. I've tried to fake it and I've tried to show it. I can't do it anymore. I'm not going to do it anymore. Healing begins tonight. It starts now. Because I want to be used by you. I want you to break every chain. I want you to break. I want you to unleash heaven in this place now. Jesus, have your way. We're grateful for the cross, and because of the cross, we have hope tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Students, adults, college students are lined up around. I encourage you to go to one of them. You can stay and pray with some of your peers and friends if you'd like. I just want you to know that the age difference is going to be in your favor tonight. And that some of these adults and college students have been through a little bit more life. Right? I want to encourage you to go to them. And if you want to come back and pray with your friends and pray with your group of peers, do that. And I want you to hear me last time. Last thing I'm going to say when I'm done talking, you go. There is nothing that you have ever done or that has ever been done to you that will ever make God look at you and lose any type of love for you. There's nothing that you've ever said that will never, ever, God will never, ever come to you and say, I made you, I formed you, I love you, I redeemed you. I mean, more than anything else, if I, I don't even talk, talk about a strong tower again, God wants you to know, students and adults tonight, He loves you. If that's all you hear me say, all the jokes, all the fun things we've had, if this is all you hear me say, He loves you and He proved it on the cross. It's time to get right tonight, students, adults. God's got something in store for you. So quit sitting there and get up and go. And get up and run.